Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics of the Book of Acts Church. We follow their example. We do, to the best of our ability, what they did, and hopefully we wind up with the same results, that world-shaking influence that they had. We believe the church age is still in effect, the fire of the upper room still burns. If you want it, it's available to you. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer to each and every person that wants to be a part of it. If that's why you're here, then you're in the right place. If you're looking to have your ears tickled or a watered-down filtered word, you're definitely in the wrong place and you might want to click off right now. We're here to get the job done. We're here to be the remnant. We're here to do what they did with the same fire and fervor. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, and we will get back to you. Or you can write us directly at the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do, and we appreciate each and every one of you that do, Go to firefalltalkradio.com at the bottom of the homepage. There are ways to do that. Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. If you'd like to let us know, will you hear us? We'd appreciate it. We're on various places, some of which is free. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and of course Spreaker, which is our main broadcasting site. But we also are on Blog Talk Radio, where we started out, SoundCloud, and Podbean. And at the end of the year, we will uh, evaluate and uh, decide how we're going to proceed and where. So let us know. I keep track of the listens and the downloads, and uh, your input would help greatly. Before we start out to the praise reports and prayer requests, and that's usually the point where if you're not interested in this part, you can go directly to the sound of the shofar and into the Bible study. But before you do, I want to remind you, 24 days ago, 17 missionaries were kidnapped in Haiti. The group included five children aged 3, 6, 14, and 15, with the youngest being just 8 months old. They're still alive, but they're still being held. I don't really know if our government is doing anything about it, what, or or anything. I just want you to, to pray. Keep praying until they get set free. All right, now we're going to go to praise reports and prayer requests. I always start out by praising the Lord for my salvation. Without that, then I'm just another poser, another player, another person trying to capitalize on uh, preaching and teaching the gospel, that's not who I am. I am born again, October 9th of 1988. I am spirit-filled. I have studied the Word. I went through the process of getting ordained. I have been uh, a lay minister at a large church and a pastor of a home church. I've done everything the Lord has asked me to do, and I don't tell you that looking for any accolades, but to show you This is not a joke, and it's not a job. It's a calling. So I praise him for that. I praise him for my home, from which I am doing this, and the studio that I broadcast from. I praise him for my wife. I praise him for my sons and daughter-in-laws and and grandson and all of our furry kids. Family is incredibly important, and we are a part of the family of God, so you're important to me as well. Praise him for his provision, his protection, and everything that he offers us in this fallen world. For the dreams and the visions, as mentioned in Joel 2.28, I praise him for his healing virtues and for divine health. Each and every one of us should be seeking it. We should be praising him for it, and we should be doing everything we can to have it. I praise him for his abiding divine favor. We can't make it without his favor, and we can't make it without his grace and his mercy. For the continuing revelation of the Holy Spirit. That spirit that walks with us, encourages us, and helps us. And for being a new creation. 
and living in these prophetic times. Many people have come and gone who looked forward to these days. Of course, they're watching it from a different perspective, if at all. I'm not sure if our loved ones watch from eternity. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture, but be that as it may, they've got the best seat in the house for when the Lord comes back. So let's pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6. May they prosper who love you. I pray for Israel. I pray for Jerusalem. I pray for its leadership, for its protection. Pray for America, that God would forgive us and shed his grace upon us and that he would help us. We are in dire need of his help. Prayers for all the people, not just in America, but in places around the world that are being victimized by their leaders. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the innocents and those who are victims of injustice and the poor in spirit. If you're one of them, I pray for you. Pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. I grieve every day for what goes on in this world and how we have been bad stewards of his creation. I pray for missing and exploited children, men and women, young men and women that are victims of human sex trafficking, a diabolical, satanic endeavor that continues to go on. For our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, for the growing persecution and anti-Semitism. I believe as we get closer to the end, the persecution for both Jew and believer will increase. We know that the Lord warned us. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing as we get back to our divine design. I'm hoping in 2022 to talk more about that and share with you about your divine design. I'm praying for healing. Each and every one of you that are listening right now, whatever you're dealing with, offer it up to the Lord. Speak it out to him. I am touching and agreeing with you for healing in heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Father, I pray right now in the name of Yeshua that they be healed in accordance with your word, in accordance with your will, in Yeshua's name. Praying for divine protection, that Psalm 91 covering, for inspiration that we would do, we'd be inspired, that's what these upper room teachings have been about, to do the job for the remnant, that's us, to wake up, rise up, and answer the call to action. For those that have been blessed to be a blessing, not just to us, and we could certainly use it. There's still so much left to do. But there are other smaller boots-on-the-ground ministries that need help. And for the doors to open so that we can finish the job and do the documentary and all the things that the porch and Firefall and SRT are called to do. So pray with us and agree with us that the funds needed would flow through to us and we can get out there and be highly mobile. And that means coming and ministering and teaching and spending time with the porch community. Pray for our lost family members, that they would come into the kingdom, that they would be taken out of darkness and into the light, names written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, the other prayer request, I have one from my friend Jane in Los Angeles. I want you right now, and until the Lord says otherwise, to pray for healing and renewal in her body, not restoration. We don't want it to go back to what it was. We want it to be better than it was before, that everything this world and the enemy has done, she's gone through a um, surgical procedure. I don't need to go into details. The Lord knows, but just pray. Pray for them to heal her. Jane has a calling, and she has to get healed and renewed to do it. Pray for everybody in the porch community, whether you know them by name or not. I just I pray for the ones that I know, the, the names I have on, on the page in front of me, for the ones that reach out to me by email, and then I just pray for those of you that listen and stay anonymous. 
Kim in Fort Mitchell, she's been quiet the last couple of weeks. She says she's well and doing good. Her kids are fine. Her dog Bruno is doing good too, and that's important to us because we love his furry kids. They made it back to the mainland from Hawaii. Oops, back up. I want to talk, ask you for prayer for uh, one of the original listeners and participants in uh, the Sea Conference in Groton, Connecticut. Name is Chris. Her husband's name is Tim. They're in Hawaii. They're dealing with some unruly um, and unsavory neighbors. And they and their animals, they have farm animals, and need our protection, need our prayers for God's protection. We can't protect them, but God can. And we just pray right now that the Lord would do what needs to be done to keep them safe. Back to Kim at Fort Mitchell. Uh, was reminded by the fact they just came back from Hawaii. She um, slowly getting over the jet lag, but praises the Lord for his unconditional love for her, her salvation, her recovery. Praises him for her children and the relationship she has with him. Praying, She's praying for safe travels for her mother, who's arriving here next weekend, followed by her husband a day later, who's retiring from the military, and that's going to need some prayer. Says, Father, give me strength, compassion, and lots of patience the next few weeks during this transition. Continue to protect my children and me, as well as the rest of the family. Praying for her son, Maurice, asking the Lord to guide him and protect him, teach him and provide. Her daughter, London's going through some difficult times in school. Father, guide her and carry her. Reveal her worth to her and teach her how to use her voice. Protect her little boy, Sean, who is going to preschool. I can't even believe that, but he's going to preschool, so it's going to need some protection. And she ends with, Father, please provide for our family. I continue to pray for Jane and the porch families in Jesus' name. That's what this is about. Yes, we come together for the word. Yes, we come together to hear what the Spirit has to say. But we come together and encourage one another for you to know that you're not going through this alone and you're not the only one. That's what the praise reports and the prayer requests are about. So, Father, we come right now, we boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. We all clamor for your attention. We all want to feel your hug. We all want to know that it's okay. So right now, I ask, Lord, that the Father would bestow that upon them, that they would come to know him as Abba. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making a way for us. Thank you for sending Yeshua to die for us and pay our price. Lord, we can never repay you, but we can love you. We can worship and adore you, and we can do what you've asked us to do. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the upper room. And help us to understand it better. And to do that, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need you to clear our minds and open our hearts, expound upon the word, bring direct revelation to each and every one of us. Break us free of all the things that hinder us from hearing your voice and understanding your will and the word. I pray right now that there be no hindrances, all strongholds pulled down, all blockages removed. And I say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. And I pray that in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about the upper room. That's really what the porch is based on. It's based on understanding it, applying it, and living it. And the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost empowered the church, which is us, 
for the ministry that they'd been called. That ministry to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news. To get people saved, healed, and delivered. That's been the core of my ministry. That phrase, getting people saved, healed, and delivered, goes back to my first days in ministry in the early 90s. It's always been there and it always will be there. But we see in the word from the Gospels to the letters of the Apostles that that's the focus. There is no other focus than preaching the gospel of the kingdom. There is none. It's not building programs. It's not any of the other things we tend to distract ourselves with. We see the example in Matthew 10, starting with verse 5. These twelve Yeshua sent out and commanded, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freedom and healing was meant to be given away. It was meant to be replicated. It wasn't meant to be hoarded or put behind closed doors. It was meant for us to take it out into the world. And the Lord gave us that example when he ministered in Galilee in Matthew 4, starting verse 23. And Yeshua went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. And then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. He put into action what I am about to say. He showed us what we were supposed to do. He was discipling the apostles who would then disciple others, who would then disciple others, and that's what we're called to do. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, red letters. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He was baptized and believes will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those that believe. They'll cast out demons, speak with new tongues, They'll be protected from anything deadly. We see that in Paul when he gets shipwrecked. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The gospel is the core message of the book of Acts. Many commentators say it should be called, instead of the Acts of the Apostles, it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because from beginning to end, that's who's in action. That's who's helping us be in action. I'm going to go off script here. Not really a script going off my notes. This Bible study may come out to be a little bit of a rant. I'm very perturbed about what I see in social media coming from Christians who and believers who have huge followings. And the message is, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to fight. God's going to fight for you. He'll send angels to do it for you. And I state this unequivocally. That doesn't line up with the New Testament. That doesn't line up with the covenant that he gave us. That doesn't line up with the cross, the empty tomb of the upper room. We've been called to go. We've been called to do Acts 10.36, they, they stated what they were supposed to do. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace, preaching shalom through Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. He is Lord of all. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, 
who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. Acts 10.42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So how did we get so off course? Because we've been tricked into doing everything but the job. The upper room and the Holy Spirit was meant to inspire us to do the job. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders, with various miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. From the beginning and to the end, the Lord's desire was for action. Go, preach, heal, deliver, raise, act, do. Saying every week that the upper room changed everything for the church and the world. You know, what it really did, it took the wind out of the sails of religion. It changed the perspective of how to do things. No more ritual, no more form and formality. Just get out there and do it. And then what did we do after the Council of Nicaea? We reinstituted all the form and the formality. We built big buildings. We created programs. We assimilated the ways of the world and the pagan cultures. My goal here on the porch is for us to get back to basics. Basics that the remnant needs and to get fired up for the job at hand. That's what this is all about. I believe that we're at the end, the time of the end. What that'll be, I don't know. But I do know we're in it. The enemy knows we're in it. They're acting like they do. And my goal is to get each and every one of you inspired to do whatever it is you're called to do. The upper room gave the Book of Acts Church passion for God for the Lord, for the church, not the building, the people, for the lost. If you don't have a passion for the lost, something's wrong. I had somebody tell me the other day that they're not called to preach the gospel. That's not their calling. And I kept my mouth shut, but that's not biblical. Because the calling and the Great Commission is the core. It's the key to everything that we do. We need to have a passion for his return. We need to act as if we know and believe he's coming back. See, passion brings boldness. Boldness spreads the gospel. Boldness inspires action. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John healed the man lame from birth at the gate beautiful. And after they did that, all the people ran to the toward them. And they were doing this on Solomon's porch. And they were greatly amazed. And Peter saw this, and he took the opportunity to explain to them, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or why do you look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Yeshua, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And then he gives him a way out. Not condemnation. Tells him you did it in ignorance. You didn't know, but the prophets told you it was going to happen, that the Messiah would suffer. And it gives them the the biggest out of all. Repent, therefore, and be converted, 
that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Peter didn't do the traditional church sermon, seven points and a closing. There were no announcements. He just told the truth. The upper room, the purpose of it then and the purpose of it now is to the individual man, the lame man in the story but to the collective people as well. We can't seem to get that right. Some people are good at the one-on-one. Some people want to stand on a stage in front of groups of people. The disciples could do it all. The Lord did it all, and that was his example. When the Lord spoke, no one got lost in the crowd. We know the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who was too short to see above the, cl- the crowd. So he climbs up a tree to be able to see the Lord as he's walking by, and Yeshua sees him, looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm having lunch with you today. And then we see Zacchaeus repent, make right everything he's ever done, even give back more than he took, all because the Lord took notice of him. What if we started taking notice of people? What if we started looking at them with the eyes of the Lord and the smile of the Lord? What if we stopped ignoring people and got our face out of our telephones and our our tablets and whatever else we've been used to distract us? What if we made the commitment to not let anyone get lost in the crowd? See, that upper room fire and the boldness brings compassion. Compassion inspires interaction. See, Peter's not giving a polished sermon after this miracle of healing the man lame from birth. And the themes, what he's saying, pretty much almost like what he said in the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost. No, this is street corner preaching, blunt Unpolished, straightforward, to the point. Basic. People want to know what has he done for you? What can he do for me? And how can I partake of that? And the message is really simple. You don't need a a pamphlet. You don't need a little card. It's always the same. Yeshua, Jesus crucified for your sins, risen from the dead, ascended up to sit at the right hand of the Father in complete authority, coming again, the the only source of salvation and a blessing for all who believe. Can, Can you remember that? It's real simple. And like I said, he gave that speech on Solomon's porch, a place of inspiration, a place of action, a place where they came together to go out or to go to various homes and break bread and study the word, fellowship together, take communion. That's what the porch has been about. Right now it's online. I would love someday for it to have tangible places that people could go to. But for whatever reason, that was the original goal. The Lord has not done that. But we do what we can with what we have to recreate that feeling, that inspiration, that desire for action. See, if you'll react to what I'm saying, if you'll react to the tugging of the Holy Spirit, if you'll react to the conviction or whatever it is that the Lord's doing to you, Action, reaction, change. Action, reaction, change. 
action, reaction, change. But you're also going to get a reaction from the enemy. I'm not going to lie to you. I never will. I won't water it down. I won't soft soap it, as they say. I don't know who they are, and I'm not sure where that expression came from. But you're going to get a reaction from the enemy as well. And they're going to rise up, and they're going to try to stop you however they can. They're going to try to discourage you. They're going to try to remind you of your past or the mistakes that you made. They did that with me. And then I had a brother after I shared with him an encounter that I had the night before. He said, brother, you need to tell that demon the Richard he's talking about doesn't exist anymore. That you're a new creation. That Richard is dead. And once I heard that, once I applied that, there's nothing the enemy can say to me that'll heap condemnation on me. Do I know I made mistakes? Absolutely. I have not forgotten them. But I know I am forgiven. I know that his grace is still amazing. And there is, therefore, no condemnation to those who love him. But I know that in the last days, I've been told in 2 Timothy 3, that perilous times will come. Dangerous times will come. Why? What's interesting is Paul doesn't tell Timothy about all the demonic threats like he does in Ephesians. He tells them about man. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Remember, he's talking to the church. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into household and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And what he was talking about was hucksters, hirelings, false teachers, who preyed upon people, mostly the women of that day, to take their money, to take their adoration, to take their eyes off of the Lord, off of the truth. The enemy is going to use the church against you. It's going to use man against you. It's going to use the world system against you. Don't be shocked when it happens. But the exhortation to endure hardship, to be diligent, to rightly divide the word, which means you need to open up those Bibles. I think it's great that we have them on our phones or our tablets or our iPads or our laptops. But what if the power's out and you can't recharge it. Do you have a tangible Bible that you can open? And if you noticed that once you get past that cover, the pages all get lighter. Open the Word. Read the Word. If you don't understand it, there's so much, There's 11 years worth of Bible studies from the porch, of which I've covered pretty much everything in there. But there are other teachers out there. I, I don't recommend anybody else because I'm not a big fan of some of what's being taught. But the Spirit can guide you. The Spirit can explain it to you. But you have to open it. You have to read it. What if you sat down at the best feast in the world from the greatest chefs of the world and looked at it and marveled at it but never took a bite? That's what the Bible is. You need to read it because we're in perilous times. We need to be vessels fit for the master's use. We're in the last days. The last days began, I believe, on the day of Pentecost. And they will continue until the second coming. And we know that because Peter told us so in Acts chapter 2. I keep pointing this out to you, but I keep saying people don't get it. 
after the the upper room, after the earthquake, after the rushing mighty, the sound of the rushing mighty wind, he steps right out. What does he say? What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, verse 17, Acts 2, there it is. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit upon pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Phase one of the last days began on the day of Pentecost. Phase two is when we get the signs in the heavens above and the earth below, blood and fire, clouds of smoke. Sun becomes dark, moon turns to blood red before the great and glorious day of the coming of the Lord. But the clincher is verse 21. But everyone, 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 everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We went into the end times on the day of Pentecost. When the fire fell in the upper room and those people spilled out into the square, doing what they did that Peter talks about, it was a signal that the end was at hand. Book of Acts Church knew it. The kingdom of darkness knew it. They responded to it. And what they knew? The king's coming back. And until he does, he's given all this power and authority to his people. It was their wake-up alarm. It was their nod or their push to do the job. It set in motion the plan for the end. Well, having said all that, you think we need to get serious? Playtime is over. You want to play church, that's all well and good. Go somewhere in a building with a bunch of other people that have no desire to do anything I'm talking about right here and now. Play church. Have your potluck dinners. Play your little games. Watch the smoke and the mirrors and the big concerts from the stage. Entertain yourself while people die and go into the lake of fire at the end. While your loved ones get destroyed by the enemy. While your sons and daughters get get taken out. We saw that at a concert in Houston recently. And why there was children at this concert of a rapper who speaks demonic, profane lyrics, I don't know. But we saw in the blink of an eye, in the space of a night, eight people they've acknowledged died. They say there's many more than that. Hundreds injured. The enemy had some fun that night. Now, we can't stop all those things, but we can pray. We can intercede. We can take this walk seriously. We can live a life of no compromise. We can take the call to go seriously. We can make it a total commitment. I'm not saying quit your job and go out on the mission field, unless that's what the Lord tells you to do. You can witness anywhere you are. You can live the gospel. You can... Live in such a way that people look at you and realize you're different. You can go to a reunion of some sort. And while everyone's cracking the beers and drinking the alcohol, maybe you don't. Maybe they remember you, that you were a carouser and a partier. And they see that you're different. You're not like that anymore. They see a smile on your face or a light in your eyes. I know I've shared this story before, but... Larry and I were talking about this the other day, and I remember after I got saved and after I got delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit, and I went back to New York, and I was uh, doing what we call make the rounds. I was knocking on doors, handing out headshots to agents and casting directors, trying to find work. And we would all meet up at this uh, restaurant in a hotel, which was not too far from the Screen Actors Guild headquarters. And I remember it was springtime, so I was I was dressed in something light. I'm walking down Broadway in Manhattan, and I see one of my acting friends. And he looks at me and says, wow, you look different. Do you get a facelift? 
Well, I mean, he, he said, you, you just look great. You're glowing. And I remember thinking I wanted to look at him and say, yeah, facial by the Holy Spirit. But I just said, no, my life, my life changed. And he asked me, well, how did it change? And we were in the middle of the street, and I wasn't real good at it. And I said, well, basically what happened is God grabbed me by the scruff of my neck, said, hey, son, let's take a look at your life. I didn't like what I saw. And I decided I wanted him to fix it. He just kind of looked at me, and I think he knew where I was going, and he wanted to get away, but he said something to me, and I followed up on it later on. He goes, I I want to hear more about this, because I can see that you're different. My sister, when my mother was confronting me about my beliefs, no longer aligning with my youth and the Catholicism I was raised in, and she was getting very agitated and angry, and my my sister was visiting along with uh, me that day, looked at her and said, I don't know what happened here, but this is not Richard that I know. This is not the brother I know. This is somebody completely different. He looks different. He sounds different. And my mother had to back up, and and she realized that because I wasn't. I wasn't the dark, angry, demonic person I once was. I'd been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the son of his love. But see, I also learned something else, that if I was going to do this, I was going to have to listen. I was going to have to obey. I was going to have to read the word and learn it. And I was hungry. I was still living in New York and going back and forth to visit my family in Tallahassee. I'd, I'd make enough money as an actor or a bodyguard. Then I would go down there for two, three, four weeks, and then go back, and I was doing the shuttle. But when I was in New York by myself, I studied the Word. I prayed. I was reading four and five books a week in the middle of all the work I was doing and training at the gym. I couldn't get enough of Him. Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-six: My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. We heard it in 2 Timothy 2, 21. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter life, from the old behavior, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That's my prayer for you. That's why I do this. We're all different. We're coming from different places geographically, physically, intellectually, philosophically. We come from different places of how much we know of his word and our relationship with the Lord. But we all can be prepared for whatever good work he has for us. Sometimes we have to go through bad things to get ready. Sometimes he has to make us lie down in green pastures beside still waters. In doing so, never lose the opportunity to say, Lord, teach me whatever I need to learn while I'm where I am right now. Because not everybody who says to him, Lord, Lord, who cast out demons, who prophesy, who do all the signs and wonders shall enter the kingdom of God, except those who do the will of the Father. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, I think, through 23 or 25, one of the scariest sections of Scripture. What is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is that all people might be saved. The will of the Father is that you would do what the Son says. That you would love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with everything that is within you, with every thought in your mind, with every breath you have. To love him and to love your neighbor as yourself. We need to get aggressive in prayer and acknowledge we're in a war zone. Started out by my little rant about people saying there is no warfare. God does it all for you. He sends angels to do it for you. That's not the New Testament. That's not the New Covenant. That's not the shift after the cross, the empty tomb, and the upper room. Acts 6-4, we can give ourselves continually 
to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They were always doing. They were always going. They were laying hands on the sick. They were preaching the gospel. They were confronting demon-possessed people or confronting those that served the enemy. Why? Because that's the interference to the gospel. If you're going to do this job, this calling, then you need to remove the hindrances. And sometimes those hindrances are supernatural. Ephesians six twelve. we spent, what, 10 weeks on the armor of God? 12 weeks? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore... Run and hide. Therefore, go sit down. Let somebody else do it. Therefore, he's going to send angels to do it for you. No, it says, therefore, you take up the armor, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Not sit, not run, stand. The Holman Bible Study Handbook says about Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, which is all of the armor of God, that Paul was talking about a warfare for a new people in a fallen world. It says, Paul made sure believers recognized that as new people who have been granted a new life in a new family with new relationships, that they would still endure spiritual warfare. Does the closing portion of Paul's letter explained his account of the believer's conflict with evil forces? The key to Ephesians was Christ risen, Christ ascended. Messiah. You can call him Jesus Christ. I know you do. I'm not going to. That's not my thing. I, Messiah for me says more. Then the word says Christ. Many people say Jesus Christ. That's fine. For me, he's Yeshua. He's my Messiah. He's my Savior. But we're not limited to an earthly perspective. We have a view of life from above. We have a view of life from the heavenly places. Set your mind on things above. And we understand that the church, us, the people, not the buildings, that's just the place where you fellowship is not in human resources. It's not in human abilities. It's the grace and the strength of God alone through His Son, through the Holy Spirit. And our warfare is not with people, though at times the enemy will use people. That's not our focus. It's with the spiritual powers using them, manipulating them. And we're not called for routine existence or routine activities. I've been there. I've done it. When I got to Tallahassee and uh, I served at the church, if the doors were open, I was there. If Shelly was there, I was there. Whatever he needed, I did. You need me to sweep, I'll sweep. You need me to build, I'll build. You need me to throw things out, I'll throw things out. I did whatever I needed to do. Saturday nights, I stayed there 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. I prayed. I did everything I thought I was supposed to do. I served. And then one day, the Lord spoke to me as I was walking the back property and I'm staring at the building. We had two buildings that had been connected together, the old original church and then a new building with all the offices and whatever. And as I was standing there, the Lord said, come out from amongst them and be separate. What? Come out from amongst them and be separate. And he began to give me dreams and visions and he began to show me all the things that were wrong. But until that point, I learned commitment. I learned my calling. I learned being diligent. But then he had to tweak it and refine it to get it out of the building, to get it out of a denomination, to get out of form and formality and ritual and the lights and the smoke and the mirrors and all that to get back to the basics. Get back into the homes. Get back to the core of the message. And if you look at the Old Testament, we got a foreshadowing of that over and over, whether it was the tabernacle, no matter what it was, we got a foreshadowing of the way it was supposed to be. 
What does it say in Isaiah 117? Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Isn't that the heart of the Lord? Shouldn't that be the heart of the church? And that's under a different covenant. So how do you live in this world? How do you do what what I'm talking about? You pray down fire on everybody? No, because the Lord told John and James when they wanted to do that, you really don't understand who you are. Here's my suggestion. You do with it what you will. Pray for mercy where mercy is available. Correction. Pray for correction and redemption, if possible. And wrath only if absolutely necessary. But be careful about the last part. When you pray down fire, when you pray for wrath on people, if God does not agree with you, Now the enemy has something on you. There's only one person who can sit in the judgment seat. Lord gave me a vision of that once because I was guilty of somebody who wanted to see wrath. And in the dream, there was this giant throne in the middle of this big room. It was ornate. It was beautiful. It just beckoned to me to sit there. Big arms, plush cushions, ornate top. So in this dream, I went and I sat down on it. I put my arms on the wide arms. I grabbed the the curved wood and I leaned back. And just as I did, this bolt of light came down from above. And initially it was just a tingle. Then I got slightly warm. And then this thing shook me. To where it literally, whether it was the light or me, threw me out of that chair two to three to four feet in front of the chair. And I landed on the ground, shocked. And in the dream, I looked up towards that light. And I heard a voice say, there's only one who can sit in that seat, and it's my son. So I've always been careful about trying to sit in the judgment seat. I pray that if he can save people, to save them. If they're reprobate and beyond salvation, there's nothing I can do about that. And I pray the Lord do whatever he needs to. But we need to take this enemy seriously. We need to take what he does seriously. He does. He's serious. We need to get serious. Zephaniah 3.5, The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his injustice to light. He never fails, but the unjust know no shame. You look at Revelation twelve seventeen, Talks about a time after I believe the church is gone. The dragon was enraged with the woman, who I believe is the church. And then once we're gone, it's Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus, the Messiah, of Yeshua. There are going to be Messianic Jews still on the earth. There are going to be people preaching and getting people saved under horrific conditions. But the enemy's desire is always what? To destroy us, to make war with us. And while I don't look for a fight, if the enemy wants one and the Lord says go, I'm going to give better than I get. If he says, hey, there's a lamb out there that's wandered off, go get it. I'm going to hit it on a run. Because I love him, but I also love his people. We're in dangerous, perilous times. What is it going to take? What is it going to take to wake up the church? What is it going to take to wake up some of you? You sit, you listen. I interact with you on social media. I don't see any fire. I don't see any commitment. That commitment starts at home and then goes outward. But I will tell you this unequivocally. The upper room brings action. And that action from the kingdom of God 
brings a reaction from the kingdom of darkness. Until he comes back and ends all of it, there's always, there's always going to be a reactive relationship between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of this world. What are you going to do about it? You're going to sit back and moan and groan when you see the stories from Houston and people being trampled to death at a concert they have no business being at. And you know that there were believers in that crowd. You know that there were church-going people in that crowd. What were they doing there? You walk into the enemy's camp, you better expect you're going to get bitten by a lion. I'm tired, folks. i got to be honest with you. I'm tired. I'm tired of watching the enemy get away with what he's doing. I'm tired of watching our sons and the daughters get deceived and and stolen and taken. I'm tired of a dead church driving our youth away because they see nothing there. They don't see Jesus. They don't see any signs and wonders. They see no indication that the God of all creation is there. They see hypocrisy. They see all these things. Or then they go other places and they get lights and mirrors and smoke and sound and all that stuff. I'm tired. I'm tired of the enemy doing what it does. I'm tired of it getting away with it. I was on a podcast last night. If anybody's interested, I'll send you the link. Our SRT's cameraman, Greg, asked me to come on a podcast he does. And I ranted and I raved and I said some of what I'm saying here now. But I'm weary. Short time ago, the Lord told me and Larry and SRT, stand down, but stand by. So that's where we are. We're standing by from orders for orders to go. But we better wake up. The day of the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. And everything's going to pass away. There's going to be no warning. We've been given enough warning. But we know. We've been warned beforehand. He's told us everything we need to do. And if you're confused right now, what do I do, Richard? Start with the basics. Get back to the cross. Follow the path to the empty tomb. Follow that path to the upper room. And then say, Holy Spirit, order my steps. Show me the way. And then do what he says. But Father, I come to you now in the name of Yeshua. I hope I've said what you wanted me to say. I know a couple of times I think I got off track. My emotions got the better of me, but... And for that, I repent. But I want your children to hear. I want them to know. I want their hearts to be stirred. I want them to hunger for righteousness and holiness and hope. And I want them to desire salvation and and separation and sanctification and healing like they never have before. I want them to desire you, the fullness of the Spirit, the fruit and the gifts and everything that you offer. So that's what I pray for right now, that you would give them that desire, that you would set the fire in them, burn it up, Let them burn, Lord. Let them burn. Be a beacon. Be empowered. Be driven to go, to do, to preach, to teach, and set the captives free. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.